Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. I am Catherine Troyer, and joining me is Anthony Tresca. Hey there. Well, virtually joining him. Yes. This is a podcast devoted to thoughtful discussions about that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we're really thankful that you're joining us, and we are so excited to talk about 2011 Contagion. have picked up on the fact that Anthony and I are not physically in the same room right now. Um, so we apologize. We know that'll impact the sound quality a little bit, but we are doing our best to keep social distancing in effect as we are recording this episode during COVID-19. Yeah, as of today, which I mean, I think we can just go ahead and say we're recording on March 26th, uh, 2020. So we're truly right in the middle of this whole COVID-19 outbreak. So we are recording for separate locations, and, but we still wanted to bring you this podcast and keep going as best as we could. But we took a little bit of a break, uh, and that's why we hadn't been releasing some episodes. Uh, it's not because we've gone away. It's just because, well, the coronavirus did impact us. Yes, and that's why, uncoincidentally, we are talking about contagion today. You may have noticed that normally uh, in the like little intro, I see say each episode looks at a specific horror text. I couldn't say that this time because I'm not entirely sure that I think Contagion is a horror text, but it is, I think, still giving us nightmares. Um, and so we'll just sort of talk about this film and talk about it through the lens of a podcast that is specifically focused on on what it means to have sources of horror and to depict monsters and things like that. And then Anthony and I will discuss whether or not this should be counted as a horror film and why and why that might matter in light of how we're approaching this current situation. Yeah, because I think it's going to be impossible to kind of like talk about this without also talking about real world events. But I know most of the time we try to not bring in a bunch of real world stuff as to not date our podcast. But this is one that's going to inevitably we're going to have to date it. Yes. And I think that the next couple episodes, actually, will be a little bit more um, set within the time in which they are released, just because this is what's on people's minds. And horror becomes a way to both, I think, tackle some of these issues, but also I think it becomes a way to sometimes problematically present them. And so we'll kind of be exploring all of that in the next little while. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that you said that, because that's actually a lot of, like, in my research on Contagion. That's what a lot of what I found about like the actual writing. So I guess I'll just go ahead and get on into it. Yes. Contagion, 2011 film directed by Steven Sodenberg. Ensemble cast, as you may have guessed if you've seen the film, Rena Copier, Matt Damon, Lawrence Fishburne, Jude Law, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Winslet, Brian Cranston, and Jennifer Ely. A bunch of big name stars in there. Even the ones like you may not have heard of, like Jennifer Ely. She's a Tony Award winning actress. So like, Everyone in there has done some pretty incredible big things. And to follow all of these plot lines, the film makes use of the multi-narrative, hyperlink cinema style that Sodenberg uses in many of his films to just follow all of these different characters around. 
And uh, the writer of the film, Scott C. Burns, this is actually not his first time working with Sodenberg. They collaborated two years before. Sodenberg had collaborated with the screenwriter, Scott Z. Burns, before, two years uh, before in 2009 on their film, The Informant. Uh, and Burns discussed doing a medical thriller film depicting the rapid spread of a virus inspired by the pandemic, such as the 2002-2004 SARS outbreak, which is the severe acute respiratory syndrome outbreak, uh, and then the 2009 flu pandemic that was going on right around the time of the informant's release. And in order to do this, uh, Scutsy Burns talked a lot about like the extensive amount of research and the development of this idea. So he talked about this in an interview with comingsoon.net. Uh, he talked about how while he, Stephen, uh, and him, himself were working on the informant, they decided that they wanted to do another movie together. So they originally decided that they were going to do a movie about Lenny Riefenstahl, who I had no idea who this was, German film director and actress. And so when Burns started doing research about this, uh, then one day Stephen called him up and said, you know what, I don't think we're, anyone's gonna see a movie about Lenny Riefenstahl because nobody knows who she is. And he'd rather make something that people might wanna go and see. So he asked Burns, if he had any other ideas. And so Burns was like, I had always wanted to do this movie about a pandemic, but not, he was very insistent that it wouldn't be like these other pandemic movies. He wanted to have it firmly rooted in reality. Can I just say that like, I am glad that we have the film Contagion, but I personally would have been really excited by a film about uh, about Lenny Riefenstahl <laughs> because I think that she's a very, like, and I know that I'm in the minority. You are a person who, you're a big German person. I am. I am. And and also, she's just kind of, I think that, like, if anyone's listening, I think we deserve a movie on her um, because of just that part where, you know, I mean, she gave us Triumph of the Will and we get to see some of the most beautiful footage um, that I think is, is shot during World War II. But then, you know, there's that whole, like, when she realizes how bad the Nazi party is and she realizes she's been their chief, you know, film propagandist, um, you know, just yeah. that, like moral dilemma of like what do i do like that is actually a film that i think i would pay good money to see so contagion yay happy we have it but i <laughs> still want that lenny riefenstahl film there's still time someone can still do it True. it just didn't happen to be steven sonenberg or uh scott fern in 2009 after making their film the informant uh so it's actually, there's a funny scene in The Informant where Matt Damon is watching another character talk and he sees one of them cough on the phone. And then Matt Damon goes off on this rant saying, oh, great. Now what happens? He gets sick and then I'm going to get it. My kids are going to get it. And so Burns was like, he'd always been fascinated by the transmittability of viruses. And so uh, when he told Steven Soderbergh about that, Steven Soderbergh was like, yeah, that sounds great. So they decided that they would collaborate and make that. Uh, and so during the research, he came across the scientist with an incredibly funny name, uh, Dr. Larry Brilliant. It's, that is his real name. Yeah, how cool is that? You know, like, how cool is it to have a last name that, like, you can be like, yes, I am, bum, bum, bum. I had a, I had a percussion teacher who, uh, his last name was Beth. So it was Mr. Beth. How cool is that? Tresca, Troyer, those don't mean anything. Brilliant? There you go. That's a, that's a name. And he is a very brilliant person. Uh, so he did a, this TED talk about the pandemic disease. 
And the point of view of people within his field isn't if this is going to happen, it's when this is going to happen. And uh, as someone who lives in 2020 now, uh, this guy was right. Dr. Brilliant, he was correct. So Burns collaborated with Dr. Brilliant and a bunch of other different scientists who Dr. Brilliant put him in contact with during the research project. And he actually started researching this film six months before the H1N1 outbreak happened, which Burns said was actually really helpful to his research uh, because he got to see how society in real time was reacting to this pandemic that was going on. And he saw all of these issues being brought up that are come up in the film, like, do you close the school? And if you close the school, then who stays home with kids? And where will everyone keep their kids at home? And then the stuff online with Jude Law's character, that spreading of information with people wanting to be ahead of the curve. So people write these things about antivirals or different treatment protocols, and there's always information. And that information also has its own viral pulse, just a different kind of viral, you know what I mean? And so he said, and I think this quote is really, really interesting. So it's not just the disease you have to track, it's how the disease is interpreted by the population. Now, I think this is a very telling quote about the film and also is very accurate. Yes, no, I think you're absolutely correct. And I think that when we get into our discussion about does this film count as horror, I think that quote becomes really important because it it allows for us to see that there are potentially two sources of horror and I think one of them actually allows the film to maybe be counted as a type of horror film whereas the other um does not and I think so I just think that's a really important sort of framework to keep in mind so basically what we're saying is remember that quote it's going to be kind of important so a little bit more about the actual like filming of it Steven Soderbergh said that he had one really essential rule that he carried throughout all of filming. It's that you can't go anywhere that one of the characters hasn't already been. So you're not going to cut to a city or a group of extras that we're not going to have seen or know personally or been to before. Because it's, and he says it's a really significant rule because in a movie where you're trying to get a sense of something that's happening on a large scale, we also want it to be centered around these real people that we know because Yes, it's big and it's happening everywhere, but the point of this film is also that it's happening to individuals and people as well as the society as a whole. And this is this is actually, I think, really groundbreaking in terms of, of, of a decision to make by a filmmaker, because if I when I think about what some of the biggest differences are between um, how narratives are told in film versus how narratives are told in, in fiction, it's that we often have these shots of places that our main characters have not yet been, where we are going to see extras doing things. And we much more rarely have that in our fiction because we kind of have been trained that in fiction, you're not going to have a lot of like characters that aren't going to continue past a couple of pages. Yeah, he he like likens it to like the disaster films of the times where you just see these big shots of just like all of these people who their only purpose is to just be killed and die. He's like, we don't want any of that. It's implied that there are going to be lots of people who are dying. We keep saying that. So there's no need to have those shots. Those are just, he, he just didn't see any need for it. And so because of that, he, he also had this philosophy of trying to keep everything simple. He shot the entire film with only two lenses. Wow. Uh, and he didn't get any. So like you normally, he talks about how he covers the hell out of everything and just is like, we'll get a shot from here, 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 here. 
But this movie, he just kept it very, very simple. And he just didn't want to have any of those extra shots. He was like, we only want to have what we absolutely need to have and keep it simple so you pay more attention to the performances rather than any flashy camera tricks that he's doing. And then one thing about this film that's very, very interesting is just how accurate it is. So the film was actually fact-checked in 2011 when it came out by a CDC expert who said that the film was mostly accurate, uh, with the biggest mistake actually being the scenario that Contagion presents in which the vaccine is developed in about four months. He says that in the case of an entirely new virus emerging, that developing a vaccine that fast, fast would be extremely unlikely. It would, assuming that a vaccine could be created, it would take far more time than four to six months to create. And, you know, at least they they made it four months, right? Like, I always think about, like, the CSI shows where they're like, we'll take this back to the lab. And then, like, 20 minutes later, they're like, the killer was Bob, right? Like... So, you know, I mean, we have to have some, I think, liberties for it to be still an engaging story, still a Hollywood story. But yeah, it's it's a film that I think and actually one of the reasons I'm not sure that this should be considered a horror film uh, is because of the fact that I think the science component is used to to undermine the source of horror that is potentially the contagion. Um, and so for me, I think that because it's so scientifically accurate, not that horror couldn't be really accurate, but I think that, that the way the film frames the science in this movie makes it so that we shouldn't be considering it um, horror. Yeah. One of the, my, I was watching this film with a science person last night, and she said that the most horrifying part about this film was how fast they rushed, they rushed through the clinical trial portion of it. She's like, this is, how do we know this, this would work at all? It worked on this one lady. This is this is horrifying on a mass scale. And I was just like, interesting that that's the thing you're focusing on. Yes. Actually, <laughs> there's a, a really good series uh, by an author named Mira Grant that it's, it's a zombie novel series. Um, and the premise of that is that the way that the zombie plague descends upon the land is because of lack of clinical trials, because someone creates a vaccine to, to cure the common cold. Someone else creates another one to cure cancer. Um, you know, this activist group ignites it, them releases them simultaneously, mm-hmm. and when they work together, it creates this zombie virus. What is that called? So the series is called News Flush, and I actually think you'd really like it because on top of zombies, it's actually about um, this news crew following a presidential candidate around because we still have politics. Oh. Yeah, it's, so we still have so politics. It's called news. News flesh. Mm-hmm. That's I think that's the first book, but that's what the series is called. And so it's them following around what would you know this post-apocalyptic world look like when we've now still put in our you know politics political system, which is very I think uh, apropos for what's going on right now, where we still have to decide are we going to you know let COVID nineteen affect our election system. So yeah, I think you would like yeah. the series. I really enjoyed the series, but. Um, yeah. Also a recommendation to our listeners. Yes, and excellent. And if you like it, Anthony, we can talk about it on a future podcast yeah. episode. Um, but yes, I think lesson learned, for especially for humanists, always let the scientists finish their clinical trials um, because yeah. otherwise, you know, zombies. Yeah, or a faulty vaccine. Whichever. Uh, whichever one. So this film was released uh, September 3rd. Uh, 2011 at the 68th annual Venice International Film Festival and then had a wider release 
on September 9th. It was made for around $60 million and grossed $136.5 million worldwide. And while it was really well-received and pretty popular in its time, the most interesting thing about this film, I think, right now is the renewed popularity that it had today. In 2020, the film received a bunch of renewed popularity due to the corona pandemic, which bears resemblance to the pandemic featured in the film. In March 2020, Contagion was the seventh most popular film on iTunes, listed as the number two catalog title on Warner Brothers, compared to where it was previously at number 270 in December and had an average daily visit on piracy websites increased by 5,609% in January compared to in December. Wow. And then uh, one of the people who worked on the film, who was a veterinary pathologist, Tracy McNairman, she was an advisor to the film. She talked about the film in 2020. She's like, if people are watching it again, and if federal and state officials are watching it again, I hope they're realizing the movie was really about what can happen with a novel novel pandemic threat. And I think people should have taken it much more seriously. I wish people had paid closer attention to it when the film came out, because it was really a warning to the federal government that this could happen to you and you need to prepare. She goes on to say, I wish I could be optimistic about this, but we've been warned by many viruses before, H1N1, monkeypox, the West Nile, and so many other I think the lesson that will come out of this is that we need to have another look at how we respond to rapidly evolving novel disease threats. And, you know, there's been a lot of um, stuff right now on, on Larry Brilliant as well, right? And so there's an article that came yeah. out on March 20, 2020 uh, by Foster Kamer in, the future, in Futurism. And he begins his piece by saying, um, every major global crisis has, in retrospect, its Cassandra a doomsdayer with a terrible curse of being the one person to see the mess coming, but who gets brushed aside by the larger public. And then he says, for the 2020 coronavirus pandemic, that person is epidemiologist named Larry Brilliant. And then he says, you know, Larry Brilliant didn't just help eradicate smallpox. He didn't just help advise the movie Contagion. He didn't just apparently tour with the Grateful Dead for a summer, but he also... um, he had a 2006 TED Talk, and recently in an that's interview... The one that burns, that's the one that burns face. Uh, he got a lot of inspiration oh. for the film from. That's yeah, that would TED make talk. sense. That would make sense. And in, and recently, right, Brilliant was interviewed and said, uh, the whole epidemiological community has been warning everybody for the past 215 years that it wasn't a question of whether we were going to have a pandemic like this. It was simply when. It's really hard to get people to listen. And, and I think so that that's kind of confirming the contagion, which I don't remember when it first came out. I don't remember seeing it. I don't remember really hearing about it. I don't know what I was doing that I wouldn't have been aware of it, but it, it, did, it wasn't really on my radar. I remember seeing it. I saw it when it first came out, but it didn't really make a big impression on me. Like, I, I've forgotten about so much of it until I did my rewatch, like, I didn't remember how it ended. I didn't remember, like, huge chunks of the film. I just remember, I, I thought it had a drive I just remember, uh, I, I remember seeing it. Yeah. That's about, that was the extent of it. So I remember my, like, my most distinct memory of it comes from, I taught a class that was called Health and Global Cinema, and it was two people who were already registered nurses who were working on their Bachelor of Science um, in nursing. 
And I used that film first as the sort of American film before we would go to all of our other films from across the world. And it was the most thrillery of the bunch. Um, and I chose it in part because I wanted to talk about like how Hollywood tends to depict health as opposed to, say, other nations, um, which are often taking this sort of more um, introspective look. I think now uh, mm -hmm. we have more uh, American films that do that. But because I, that, I think about that film in conjunction with these other films, I always think about it as being a little bit, you know, not over the top, but Hollywoodized, like kind of this extreme thriller version of things. And it really, you know, it'd be interesting to teach that class today um, where we would have to acknowledge Contagion as being a lot less just to entertain you and a lot more to warn you. I think, and I think that's the scariest part of the film. Like, one, well, one of them, one of the scariest parts is just how accurate the film ended up being today. It just, it shows you how well Burns did his research. I think that is the best thing about the film is because it has gone on to be just, it, it got so many points correct. Yes. And, and I won't lie that there are scenes that are, are haunting. I, you know, the one where we realize how many things we touch and like how you should never, ever, 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 ever eat any nuts that are in a mixed bowl, you know, at a bar, right? Like, I mean, there's so many moments in this film that really, I think do a good job of, of, creating a sense of uh, like scaring us but i'm going to argue that i think it's really important that we don't consider this film horror even as we allow certain things including the realism and the scientific accuracy to scare us and i, I think i'm going to take a little bit of a uh, the other side of, of this, this issue i think it could be considered it could could potentially be considered a horror film but not if you are viewing the source of horror as the virus from the film. I don't, I don't think it falls under horror if it's that, because I don't think that's the true thing that the filmmakers are trying to say is the source of horror, and I don't think that's what would make it classify as horror. I think that this film would only fall under the lens of being horrific if we view the most scary part of this film to be human nature and what happens when human nature in a time of crisis is left to be kind of unchecked and runs rampant. So I'm going to agree with you. Um, I am- Nice, discussion yeah. over. In, in so far <laughs> as I think that things change when we think about the humans. But before we get further into our, our discussion, I think it's worth talking really quickly about why it may matter or not that we view this as horror. Um, because I, yeah. I think that, as always, it's really important that you and I, the conversations we're having, that they're not just academic for just, you know, like pure debate sake, but that there's an underlying like significance to why we feel so passionately about what we feel passionately about. So, mm -hmm. you know very well, Anthony, and podcast listeners, you probably have picked up on the fact that I feel often very mixed about like generic definitions as, as a like you know that there should be a single definition of what science fiction is there should be a single definition of what horror is um and yeah classifications are in themselves limiting yes, i think classifications are limiting and i think classifications are having a debate for debate's sake yeah i think that most of the time it's not about like a, a larger thing it's just like i'm right you're wrong or let's just discuss this in our beautiful ivory towers while the rest of the world is crumbling to pieces around us 
it's a very privileged thing to get to talk about. Yes, that's a nice way to put it. I, but twice now because I did this with Midsommar as well, and I'm going to do it with Contagion. I'm going to argue that while it is not necessary to always have a perfect generic definition that you can just kind of show in its perfect form, it is important. And it is not about privileging, it's about a sort of deeper understanding to decide if a specific text um, meets a classification of, for a genre. Yeah, I think, that's, I think that's very interesting. I think that is important to consider, particularly because I think with this one, more so than Midsommar, uh, it, it is a lot more clear what the significance is to our discussing it. We are quite literally in the time of a pandemic. And so whether the classification of this as horror or not can kind of color the way people might see the actual coronavirus and see what's going on. And so I think it is quite, it, it is really important to consider why we're talking about this at all. And I have seen this film, uh, you know, popping up on, on people's lists of, you know, uh, like people will say, you know, what's, what are the horror films we should be watching right now? And Contagion is topping that list. And I think, again, like you said, it, it shapes explicitly how we are interacting with both the concept of the virus itself, but also the social isolation and quarantining, as well as our interactions with other humans. Um, and I think that we're, as you may be able to make an argument that I'd be willing to buy, that people are the real monster, because you'll always be able to get me out with that. I think even... <laughs> accepting that as like this is a horror film because people are monsters is also a problem so let's go through let's start would you read that quote again um that we said will sort of like determine how you see this film uh here we go here's the quote so it's not just the disease you have to track it's how the disease is interpreted by the population okay so let's talk about why neither of us feel like this should be considered a horror film when it comes to tracking just the disease you go first. Well, okay. So I think that just like classifying this and like talking about this only through the disease and saying that that is the source of horror and that is why this film is scary is not, it's not, first of all, it's not super relatable because we didn't have the exact strand of the virus. It's not the same thing when having in the real world. Also, like you did mention a little bit before, the, some of the reaction to it is a little Hollywoodized. And so I think that, and the the rush for the vaccine and how quickly that is made and the happy ending, how everything just kind of gets wrapped up in a nice little bow in terms of the handling of this specific virus is not super scary and it's not really horrifying. It's not, it's not the virus that provokes any of the true, what I feel are horrific moments from this film. It's present for it and it definitely spurs it on. But I think the virus is more of a, a plot device or something to push the or a, something that allows the horrific moments to happen based on what I'll ultimately say is deeper human nature and just human reaction to this at all. So that, that's why I don't think that just discussing this through the lens of the virus is the most effective way to go about having this conversation. I agree. I think that um, especially because by the end, it seems like the crisis the global crisis has been resolved and everything is better now. Yeah. Um, now, there are 
films that I think are horror like World War Z that do that still, right? That they're like, ah, oh, we found the cure for zombieism. So I'm not saying that it isn't done in horror films, but I think that the reason we can't see the contagion um, in and as a source of horror is because of the fact that this is a film that is saying that we don't need to fear this because we have a hero in science. Science never fails us in this film. And I don't think you can really have a source. Now, people, scientists, mm -hmm. right, they may fail us. But because science is so, so, pra not praised, because science becomes the superhero of this film, I don't think that, that the virus can be a source of horror. The only potential, I think, like, like what you're saying, like you can have affirmative horror where everything gets wrapped up in a nice little bow. That that's just that, like we've talked about on other episodes before. That's the whole thing. Like that's Stephen King's playground. Everything things are bad, but things go back to the way things were, and things are better now. And I think again, I think you could do that. You could look at this film through that lens, but I don't think that's the most interesting or most productive way to look at this film, particularly right now. So you were telling me before the episode started that you were going to try to make an argument and I was going to not fully believe you um, for this film being possibly affirmative horror if we're looking at humanity or the, the, the lower ends of humanity as our source of the monstrous. Would you explain how you see that as being a way that this film could maybe be horror? So... Remind me what the name of the author is who gives the seven theses of what makes a monster. It's uh, Jeffrey Jerome Cohen. Yeah, that's the guy. So I think that building off of some of what he talks about as his theses of what makes a monster, you can humanity weirdly fits a lot of these theses. So the monster is supposed to be a cultural body. It's quite literally this virus is affecting the larger cultural body. It can't be killed. You can't kill human nature unless you just kill all humans, which doesn't happen. Uh, one of his other theses is that it always escapes. Human nature does come out of this untarnished, uh, pretty much. And things just keep on going. So I think that using those three main uh, theses, uh, what makes a monster, is what I think will ultimately help me argue that it's humanity that fits more of this monster role in uh, contagion rather than this virus because I don't think the virus really fits a definition of what makes a monster yeah I agree with you I think you know Cohen and and lots of other you know sort of monster theorists there's a it's a hotly contested issue of whether or not we can count humanity or humans as monsters right and you'll always have people that will be saying things like you know well, what about an American psycho? There's always right exceptions that people raise um, or serial killers in the real world. Um, but if we suspend the discussion of whether or not humans can be monsters and just say that in this case, in this film, that's the closest thing we have to a monster. I'm willing to agree with you on that. I'm also willing to, to say that, you know, you don't have to look far to find similar examples in our current world where people are hoarding and not being very kind to each other. We have lots of examples of the opposite, right? Of people really reaching out and building a sense of community, the number of companies that are offering resources to students and faculty um, and to those that are in the classification of um, at higher at risk. But we definitely have examples of the lowest parts of humanity and contagion happening now. 
You know, what I think is most interesting about if we view the source of horror as humanity and human nature is not just the more obvious things that the film presents to us. Like, yes, obviously, the reporter, Jude Law's character, is clearly profiting off of it. And, yeah, that we see people profit off of horrible pandemics and times of crises all the time. I mean, the U.S. government has a real big tendency to help facilitate and allow that to happen. Um, and that's just like a thing, a nature of how capitalism works. You profit, always, always, always profit. But, and I think that's a really obvious one. But I think the, another one is the less obvious parts of human nature. Just like we willy-nilly touch things all the time without really thinking about it. Like we, we're so willing to just trust that these peanuts in a bar are fine. Yeah, I, sure, they're, they're out there. I, I, I can eat them. I can't. And that's a bit of a flawed part of human nature. It's not a bad thing, inherently, that we're so trusting and just so willing to touch doorknobs and do all these things, even though we know that we shouldn't. Or we don't always wash our hands, even though we're told from a very young age that we should always wash our hands and be as clean as possible. So I think it's not just the big, like, humanity's profiting off of this, or people, politicians give special treatment to their close families. Like, those are the obvious problems with human nature. But I think Contagion really gets right and shows about this. And what's really horrifying is some of the smaller, more minute things about human nature. Or the things that are seemingly independent of, of the, the contagion, such as the realization that it is through our deforestation acts that we are, uh, you know, bringing this onto ourselves, right? That by deciding that we are going to take over the world in the ways that we do we're you know ensuring that we're going to have exposure to new things right like that is i think also one of the really important components of the film it's like how uh scientists are talking about how the melting of the ice caps that we're doing are releasing old bacteria into our system and potentially older diseases that we that are current uh, how we've evolved is not uh has never been exposed to and so we won't be prepared for that when they come out of these ice caps that are being unfrozen. So it's just how we, how we interact with the world has a direct effect on things. I feel, as I did with Midsommar, that, that while I want to, to see this film as horror, while I think that there are certainly horrific elements, I think it undermines what the film is trying to do, though, to see this as a horror film. And I think that in light of, of current circumstances, it's actually very dangerous to see this film as a horror film because then we see the humanity as the monsters that we need to be fearing. And I, and it's not just that like we need to be kind to each other and things like that. I feel like so much of, of what the horror genre allows us to do is to use a metaphor and a framework for understanding things that are happening around us. But if we view this film as a horror film, I think it's too close. Like, we can't see it as, as a metaphor. We just see it as an actual statement about our world today. And that's not what horror really, I think, when it's at its richest is doing. It's not saying this is a exact understanding of the world around us. It's here is a way to understand the world around us. And I think that as long as we see Contagion as a horror film, we're not digging appropriately into the issue that we're facing in the real world. 
I don't know. I think that you can't. I, I don't know if that I necessarily agree with that because I, I think that part of like it, I can I'm, go back to the quote that uh, the veterinary veterinary pathologist McNairman said about how she wished that people had taken this film more seriously and taken seen what the film was more apt, accurately trying to say. It's not that human nature is 100% bad and will do all these terrible things. It's that we just need to take things like this more seriously. And because so much of it is just like of human nature is that we just avoid it until it's a big problem like what we have right now. Like we defund uh, the CDC until there's a global pandemic. And so we haven't done the things that the film was saying. Because I think you look at the film and you can be like, yes, bad is a terrible thing. We've had things like this happen before and then just put it away. But I think what the film is saying is like there's little preventative things that we can do to kind of counteract this human nature that we that we have this, to just ignore and just assume the best and just go on with our lives. So I think that's I think that's the way that you can look at it. And it can still kind of be classified as a horror. I mean, not it's obviously not horror in the typical sense. I mean, this entire argument is kind of saying for a more liberal definition of what horror is, but horror is all about pushing boundaries. I, I, I 100% agree with everything that you're saying, but I feel like you're actually supporting, for me, why I think this film should be instead seen more as a medical thriller because if we're going to see it as a cautionary tale, if we're going to see it as something that is not a way to look at the world as in through a metaphor or sort of like a, a something between us and the real horrors of the world, if we're supposed to actually see it as like learn from this, this is a script of what you can and cannot do. To me, I don't think that's what good horror does. I don't think good horror translates quite so obviously um, over from from what you're supposed to be feeling and understanding and doing um, to the real world. I think that it serves more as this like in-between state. So horror should only operate as a metaphor then? I don't, I don't know if it should only operate as a metaphor. I think that, that it, that good horror though complicates the situation and, and asks us to unpack it. And then to see how that analysis allows us to reflect on real world issues. I don't think contagion is, is complicating things or asking us to unpack it. I think it's saying, here's how it is. What are you going to do about it? And so to me, I think when I think of what really qualifies as like the horror that I feel resonates the most with me and with other people that I talk to, it's the kind that complicates and requires unpacking as opposed to just like, uh, you know, just st slap it onto reality and it's, that will it's solve It's too things. black and white for you. It, it's, it's like, and I get what I get why you might be hesitant to agree to this kind of label because then it would be like, well, wouldn't all Holocaust films be horror films as well? Because, but I can see, I can, I can see, I can see the argument both ways because I can see, yeah, Holocaust films are extremely horrifying. They are truly horrific. They showcase monsters. Sorry if anyone doesn't think Nazis are monsters, but I think they do fit all of the theses of what makes a monster. And I think they are an, one of the things of like the, how the theses can be applied to humans uh, pretty aptly. 
but and I can but I can see the reluctance to not want to classify things like that because it's this I guess it's this debate of like how real can horror get. And I think that horror absolutely can and should not always be super far away, right? Like I don't think it should be like that you have to be like, well, there was a giant bunny and really the giant bunny is, you know, embodying our sense of our fear of death, which is really stimming back to like I don't think it should have to be that far removed every time. I just think that what makes Contagion a film that we need to be watching now is not the fact that it is scary and it is not the fact that it is um, horrifying us. It's the fact that it is telling us here is how to address this issue that is scary. Here is how to, to frame your world so that you're making smart decisions in a time when it feels like you have no decisions that you get to make on your own. Yeah, and I totally, I can like very much see that. And at ball at the same time, also acknowledging the fact that I think that some people, and I'm and completely understanding why people would want to view this as a horror film, because it's, it hit, it's hitting particularly right, I, I'm particularly right now, I would want to interpret it as a horror film, because it hits so close to the horrors that are currently going on. And it's really like in a very head on way kind of holding up a mirror to exactly what's happening right now, which is something that we often talk about what good horror does. Like it, it reflects this cultural body, and like this zeitgeist of of what we fear in the current time. And I think what most people are afraid of right now is this pandemic that's currently going on. And so it makes sense why people, why it pops up on lists of like most engaging horror to watch right now or or stuff like that. No, I agree. I think you're absolutely correct that it makes sense why people are watching it. I think people should be watching it. If the way to get people to watch it is to tell them it's a horror film so they'll watch it and then ponder it, I think that's great. Um, And again, I think what's most important about this film and about this discussion is that we need to think carefully about how we're going to think about Contagion and that it can't just be the movie we put on in the background because we want to be scared or the movie that just scares us and so we just go, well, that's too, too horror I can't watch it Um, because I think that neither of those reactions are where this film needs us to be to see it as, again, a timely statement about everything that from start to finish of this pandemic. So thanks so much. That was that has been our discussion on Contagion. I hope that uh, uh, I'm about to make a terrible joke. I hope that you will pass this on like the virus from the film to all of your friends. This is something that you can feel good about sharing with other people in this time of crisis. I'm glad to know that while you may be physically far away, you still are able and willing to share your puns. (laughs) I, I had to do I was like, I was like, oh, this is kind of a downer of an episode. I haven't made as many bits or jokes as I normally do. I but we'll have to remedy I, that. I, I, I had to bring it. I had to bring it back at the end. At least get in some type of joke. Yes. Even if we are maintaining social distancing, doesn't mean I have to do social joke distancing. I can still do it. I can still. I can still do it. So, uh, in the meantime, uh, feel free to go back and listen to any of our other podcasts. Share us with your friends and come back. Uh, Next time, I, as we said, we, we are altering our release schedule a little bit. I know that we said in our previous episode that the next episode was going to be The Exorcist, but we feel like there are some other films that 
in light of everything that's going on that we just need to talk about more. Um, so the next film that we're going to be talking about is actually 2020's The Invisible Man. And this is a great film to be looking at in part because so much of, of the things that are emerging in terms of COVID-19, but also just sort of any global crisis situation like this is that there's always someone that is that Cassandra, right? Who no one believes, but is telling the absolute truth. And uh, the Invisible Man, while obviously not being at all about COVID-19, uh, is still, I think, addressing a lot of the fears and concerns that are emerging right now um, in light of everything that's going on. And The Invisible Man is available if you didn't weren't able to catch it while it was in theaters, before all theaters have now shut down for good reason. Uh, it's available on video for demand, so you can get it on iTunes, Amazon, any place like that. Uh, and so that you can watch it before next time when you'll hopefully be joining us for our horrifying discussion of The Invisible Man. In the meantime, we want to encourage you to tell us on social media what you think about Contagion. Do you see it as a horror film and why is that important? Or do you see it as not being a horror film and why might that be important? Because I think what's perhaps the most significant thing we can be doing right now is having conversations. So thank you so very much. And we will see you next time when we talk about The Invisible Man. <laughs>